Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is The Scarlet Cord. Perfect timing for communion. The Scarlet Cord, Joshua 2, 14 to 24. I was thinking about, as I was preparing this, I was thinking about the the scarlet cord, the red rope. And it kind of reminded me, the the rope that's going to save here, kind of reminded me of of life on the farm. We did a lot with ropes. Especially, though... uh, we used to deliver a lot of babies. You know, it was like one of the things, I probably could be a vet, you know, I should be a vet, you know that book. Uh, all the babies I helped deliver, baby kittens, you know, you didn't have to do much, kind of just watch, it was natural. Most animals, it was natural animal birth, you know, natural childbirth, natural animal birth. You just kind of were there and you pet the kitty and they had their babies and you got to enjoy it. Or the puppies, same thing. Or the baby chickens, the parents weren't there, but we you know, would help knock, knock the eggs a little bit. Not too much. If you helped too much, what would it do to the baby chickens? Kill them. Kill them or cripple them. Yeah, you couldn't help too much, but just a little bit we'd help them out and get them out of there. But most animals, it was pretty easy. But the one animal that was very difficult to help deliver was the the calves, the cows, for some reason, uh, I don't know if it's they're so domesticated or not or what, but we used to have to really help them because if we didn't, bad things could happen. They could, they, they would often die. A lot of you, I'm not going to tell the story again, but a lot of you know Kim's Christmas calf story, her helping deliver that, the first calf. I'm not going to go into it again. It was too traumatic for some of you. But anyway. <laughs> And her, she doesn't want to hear the story again. But uh, the, but the, you know, the calf that was born on Christmas didn't make it. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But but what we would have to do with the calf, the the cows, and the calf when the calf was starting to come, the mothers couldn't get the babies out. So we would often have to take a rope and tie it a rope to each of the calves' legs, and then we'd apply gentle pressure, or sometimes not so gentle pressure when it got too hard, and we'd have to pull the calf out for the mother. And, and it was pretty messy. You know, we used to dread it. My dad would say, oh, got a calf coming, and we all pretend we're sleeping, you know, you know, lock ourselves in the bed, you know, lock ourselves in somewhere. We didn't want to help because it was a lot of hard work, and it was messy. And you get done, and you, you had this, it was a mess, and you had this, these ropes that were connected to the calf, all bloody. It was really messy. But that rope saved, those bloody ropes saved those calves' lives. If we didn't do it, they would, they would die. Often the calves would die. And so we had to do it. And we're going to see a similar bloody story here, really, a, a red rope story here in the book of Joshua and how it saves each one of us who reach out and take hold of this rope that's talked about in God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing many of us through colds and cold weather and in many trials and struggles this week. Even this last year, many have gone through some really tough times and trials and struggles. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and grace to us. And now, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, through your mercy and grace. And, and Father, if anybody here has never put their faith in Jesus, today would be that time on this communion Sunday that we would put our faith in your son Jesus. Or if any of us just need to hang on to Jesus tighter, that your spirit would speak to us through this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so remember, we're in the book of Joshua. And if this is your first time here in the book of Joshua, once again, go back on the podcast or the YouTube or get the the CDs because this is all a picture. It's all a type, a picture 
of our spiritual battle. They're taking, you're like, why is this story in there? Israelites taking the promised land. It's a physical picture that's really showing us our spiritual battle. Everything you see in the book of Joshua is about us. It's our spiritual battle. Even Joshua himself. Joshua is Hebrew. What's the, the Greek word for Joshua? Jesus. Joshua and Jesus, same exact. Joshua is a picture of Jesus. Everything that you see Joshua do in the book of Joshua is showing us what Jesus was going to do for us. And just as the Israelites had to take a, a physical land, we don't conquer a physical land anymore. We are taking a spiritual land. We have, we're fighting for our spiritual promises and the spiritual victories that God has promised us. And so it's all a picture. It's all a big picture for each one of us. And we've been in Joshua 2 recently. We saw spies and lies. Remember the spies going in to scope out the land that they were going to take? And we talked about Rahab telling her fib. Then we talked about Rahab's faith. If you missed that, boy, if you missed uh, Rahab's faith, the title was God can change anyone. Vital, vital truth for every one of us. God can change anyone. Get a hold of that CD, go on the podcast, go on the YouTube, listen to that five times. Somebody told me to listen three times. Listen five times if you have to. Vital truth. And right after that, we did on Christmas Eve, we did Good News for Grinches. And we talked about how, well, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but the story of, of, of Rahab and the genealogy and, and of Christ, two really foundational teachings for us, okay? Because Rahab had faith. Even before they got here, we saw how Rahab had already put her faith in the one true God. Already, it already had happened. Uh, and then, now we see her faith is, is shown by her actions. We see how she helps the Israelites escape. There's an outline in the bulletin. You can kind of follow along if you want to have something to take home. Uh, let's read the passage, Joshua chapter 2, starting with verse 14. They said, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you have made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to the Joshua son of Nun and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Woo! So we see, first of all, verse 15, that, they are, that she has a house on the wall. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was on part of the city wall. 
So we see she has a house on the wall. Archaeology, when they've, they've studied Jericho and it all being knocked down, they found that there were many houses on the wall. The poor people in Jericho lived on the wall. The outcasts, the poor, which Rahab we know was an outcast. She was a prostitute. We talked, talked about that. They, lived, they, were, they had to live on the wall. And the reason they didn't want to live on the wall is if there was an invasion or if somebody attacked, what got hit first? Your house, right? You were, your house was hit first. It wasn't a great place to live. But God, knew, it was all part of God's plan. He knew exactly where Rahab lived. He knew exactly that she had already, and if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, you, you missed that part, but, but she had already put her faith in the one true God. She had already heard about God. She was waiting for God to send the, the Israelites to conquer the city. She had true faith in God already. And it was all part of God's plan. He knew exactly where Rahab lived and what he was going to do. He, they would be able to see as they marched around the city, which we'll see when we get a little further on, they marched around the city, they were able to see that rope hanging from her window on the wall that whole time they were marching around those, those seven days. Also, when the wall fell, you know the story, I'm giving it away, it comes in a few chapters still, but they marched around, the walls fall. Think about it, that one section of the wall didn't fall where her house was. Here's this Wall falls flat, one small section of the wall doesn't fall, and what's hanging out of that window? The scarlet cord. The scarlet cord. It was a miracle of mercy, wasn't it? We'll talk some more about that in a few moments here. Verse 16, she tells him to go to the hills, head for the hills, right? Go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there for three days until they return and then go on your way. West of Jericho, even now, uh, where they went to hide, the hills are honeycombed with caves. That's why she sent them there. She knew there were caves honeycombed throughout those hills. That's where they went and hid for three days. Then, verses 17 to 18, we see the rope story here. And this is the focus of today. The men said to her, this oath, verse 17... You made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any, uh, that will stop right there. This rope, this rope has to be hanging the same one that she had let them down on. They hung the rope out, the same rope that they had climbed down, they escaped with, the same one. That, that saved them had to be hung in the window. And it's a scarlet cord or a red rope, all right? Very likely, what was this rope used for? Why would Rahab have a red rope? Well, you've heard of the red light district. There were no lights back then. This was the red rope district, all right? This was the cord she used as a prostitute. She would hang it out, out of her window. And that's how they, that's how the, the men would find her, her apartment and know that she was a prostitute. That's the same rope that was hung out, that they climbed down on. And we're going to see more about the rope in just a few minutes. It's a very, very touching story. But the scarlet rope, which she used, ends up being a type of the blood of Jesus Christ. It ends up being a type that, 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 God uses that as a type of the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember, remember they just came out of Egypt. Well, 40 years ago now because they wandered for 40 years, but they should have just come out of Egypt into the promised land. And remember the Passover lamb in the, in the blood of Jesus Christ there. It's another type of the blood of Jesus Christ. The rope, the, the Passover lamb. Remember in Exodus 12, I'll read it to you. In Exodus 12, verses 21 to 23, when they left Egypt, 
It says, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssops, dip it into the blood of the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. The blood was put on the top of the door and the sides of the door, a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. The Passover lamb is a picture of Jesus Christ in the shape of the cross. And when the, the angel that God had sent to destroy the firstborn, when he saw the blood on the top and the sides of the doors, he passed over. That's why it's called the Passover. The Passover. And that lamb that was sacrificed is a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us. The Passover and the red rope. The scarlet cord are both a picture of what Jesus did for us. They're a type of Jesus Christ. It's no accident it was a scarlet cord. John 1.29, uh, John the Baptist said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world when he saw Jesus. He said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why Jesus came to die. He was the ultimate Passover lamb. That's what communion is all about today. He's the ultimate lamb who died in our place. In fact, in Matthew 27, 28, look what Jesus was, was, was clothed in before he went to the cross. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. There's no accidents in the Bible, are there? The scarlet robe. It's a picture. It's a picture that Jesus was fulfilling the type, just like the, the perfect lamb that paid for our sin. The scarlet cord was a picture of Jesus Christ. He wore scarlet to fulfill the type, the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect lamb that paid for our sin. That's what Jesus did. That's the picture. Romans 3.25 says this, But God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement, through faith in his blood. Jesus was a sacrifice of atonement. Remember I talked about that word in the Greek? There was no word to translate into the English for the word atonement. So, so they came up, they took three English words, at one mint, and put them together and made atonement. That's what Jesus did. We are all separated from God because of our sin, because of our rebellion. The entire planet is separated from God for all of eternity. But God wanted a relationship with us again, so he sent his son Jesus, who died on the cross, who paid for our sin so that we could be at one mint with God again and made a way to God. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's what... That's what we put our faith in his blood. The atonement through faith in his blood. We're putting our faith in what Jesus did. He died on the cross in my place. He was my substitute. He, was my, he ransomed us. He died on that cross when we should have died on that cross. He suffered the penalty for our sin so that we could have a relationship with God. Jesus died. The lamb died in our place. And that's why it's very important. And what we learn from this, this story of Rahab and, and the, the cord is we must be under the blood, under the blood of Jesus Christ. In Egypt, death came to everybody, all the firstborn except those who were under the blood 
of the Passover lamb. In Jericho, the two Jewish spies escaped how? By the scarlet cord. And Rahab and her household, the Gentile Rahab, she's not Jewish, the Gentile Rahab and her entire household survived. Why? Why did they were miraculously saved? Because of the scarlet cord. The scarlet cord. Today, only those who are under the blood of Jesus Christ have life. Only those who are under the blood of, of Jesus Christ know that we will spend eternity with God someday. Only through the blood of Jesus Christ. We must all come to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what communion is a reminder. That Jesus gave his body and blood. It's a reminder of that. Ephesians 1.7 says this. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We must be under the blood of Jesus Christ. And not only under the blood, but the second thing that jumps out at us in this book of, of, of Joshua chapter 2. We must not only be under the blood, under that scarlet cord, but we must be separated from the world. Very, very important. We must be separated. Joshua chapter 2, I'm going to read it again, verse 18, where he says, he, he says, unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down, unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house, into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. We see that all had to stay in the house. Not just under the scarlet cord, under the blood, but also separated from the world. They all had to stay in the house. They had to hide. Look, what, look how long they had to stay in this house. Three, she says, go hide three days. So three days they were out in the hills. Then they'd come back and they crossed into the flood of Jordan. They ford the river somehow. They get back. They report to Joshua the story. He gets all the Israelites together. They have a miraculous crossing of the Jordan River. Don't miss the next couple weeks. We're going to see how they get across the Jordan River. Then they get across and he says, okay, time out. Let's celebrate Passover. So they had to stop and celebrate Passover. And then after that, they show up to Jericho. They march around the city. And what do they do? They went home. They did it again. Next day, went home. Seven days in a row, they march around the city. I don't want to tell you the rest, but you kind of know the rest, right? You know the song. Uh, but Joshua fought, fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came down. You guys know the song, right? So you can imagine what they're thinking. They, this whole time, they had to keep themselves in the house, separated from the wicked, and they probably finally see the, the army show up, march around the house, go home, and they're like, where are they going? They're looking out the window. Here, shaking the cord. Here we are. Where are you going? Seven days in a row they did this. It's crazy. But they, there was a lesson in their, their patience and perseverance. They had to keep themselves separate from wicked Jericho. And the same goes for us today. We must be under the blood of Jesus Christ and keep ourselves separate from the world. Does it mean we can't live in the world? No, no. Doesn't mean that. But it means the world can't live in us. The world can't live in us. We have to be separate from the world. We cannot come to Jesus Christ unless we are willing to turn our back on the world, to turn our back on sin, to turn our back on self. We can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ and really grow spiritually unless we're willing to daily carry our cross and follow 
him. Remember Mark chapter 3, when we talked about carrying the cross? We have to be willing to daily carry our cross, die to self, die to the world, and, and follow Jesus Christ. In the United States today, we have a problem. The church in America is worldly. I'm not shocking anybody, I don't think. It's considered one of the most worldly churches in the world. If you look at our history of the, of the American church, it's the most worldly church in the history of our country in the United States today. It, 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 we've, we've, we've completely compromised. It reminds me of Revelation 3, verses 15 and 16. In Revelation 3, 15 and 16, it says, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What happened to that church in Revelation 3? It had become lukewarm. It had become room temperature. And when something's room temperature, it's not good for anything. Jesus said, I wish you were hot or cold. If you're hot, it's like hot tea. I've drank a lot of hot tea this week. If it's cold, it's like having you know, a cold drink when you want a cold drink. But who wants to drink something that's lukewarm? And he said, that's what the church had become in Revelation 3. And he said, you're no good for anything. It's to be spit out. Very graphic, by the way. In Revelation 18.4, it says, it's a warning from Jesus to the church. He says, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you not receive any of her plagues, warning us to come out of the world, so that we won't be judged with the world. But I see that what I see happening, and we've talked about this many, many times, is the church in America has become worldly. We've become just like the world. Especially, and I say this, especially, I think the younger generation is really getting hit hard. Really getting conformed. Really getting squeezed. Because I know when I grew up, there was a a Christian worldview out there. And we were supported in that worldview. But now the younger generation isn't supported by a Christian worldview. The Ten Commandments have been removed from schools and in the public. And in all form of Christianity is been removed from the public sphere. They can't even use the word Jesus on TV. You hear these different people saying, well, I made the movie, but I took the word Jesus out because I don't want to offend anybody. It, it's just, it's been completely changed. You've grown up thinking that it's, you've, you've grown up, you don't know any different, but you grew up thinking it's okay to kill a baby. That's what you've been told your whole life. It's okay to kill an unborn baby. You've been lied to. You've been brainwashed. God can't be talked about in schools or in, in public. And, and history has been rewritten. The stories about George Washington that we grew up with praying to God and Abraham Lincoln been deleted from the history books. And as a result, I've seen the young people being squeezed. It's in the movies, it's in the music, it's in, it's in the, the philosophies that they're being taught. It's constantly being squeezed. And it reminds, me, it reminds me of the frog in the kettle. I've talked about this many times. If you take a frog and you, heat, you take, take some really hot water and you take a frog and you throw it in the hot water, what does it do? Jumps out. But if you take a frog and you put it in room temperature water and you start heating it up, and you keep heating it up, 
What does a frog do? Cooks. It cooks. It will never come, come out because it's so gradual. That frog will cook in that pot that's on the stove. It won't get out because it was gradual. And that is what has happened to the church in this country. We have become worldly. Are we separate from the world? Are we under the blood? Are we separate from the world? Are we different from the world? Have we turned our back on our sins? Whatever the Bible teaches, whatever the Bible teaches is against God's will and purpose for our life. Have we turned our back on that? Have we separated ourselves? Are we discerning? Are we using God's word to discern what's true and what's a lie? Or are we just, are we just being brainwashed by, by the world and just buying the lies, the media's propaganda and the philosophies which permeates the youth culture, the movies and the music? It has a purpose. The common denominator of all this is against Jesus Christ. This whole false tolerance out there. What does that really mean? We'll tolerate anything except Christianity, right? Tolerance, what does it really mean? We'll tolerate anybody unless unless they believe in Christian, what the Bible teaches and what Jesus believes. It's a lie. Tolerance just means anything goes except for Jesus, except for God's word. That's what it really is teaching. It's, it's, a, it's a lie. And where does it come from? Ephesians 2.2. 2. Ephesians 2 says this. He's talking about in, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Where does it come from? It comes from Satan. It either comes, it's either God's truth through Jesus Christ or it comes from Satan. That's where it comes from. That's where the lies... Why, why is there such an anti-Christ view in our country today? In the media, in the movies, in the books, in the schools, in the colleges. Why? That's the world. That's the world. Are we separated from the world? Are we drinking the Kool-Aid or are we separate? Are we, are we, letting, are we letting ourselves be conformed or are we, are we being transformed by the renewing of our minds? Are we separate from the world and are we under the blood of Jesus Christ? Are we under the blood? Have you had your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ? Isaiah 118, beautiful, beautiful verse. Come now, let us reason together. Says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Have we had our sins that are red like red as scarlet washed away, made pure through Jesus Christ? We can be forgiven. That's what communion is all about. We can be cleansed, washed, purified by the blood of Jesus Christ, just as. Just as Rahab was saved by the scarlet cord, we, just as she was saved by that scarlet cord hanging in the window, we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Every one of us is the only way to be saved. We all have a disease. Every one of us. We're born with a disease and we own it and we make it worse. It's called sin. We have a disease. It's sin and the result is death and eternal separation from God. Eternally separated. 
But there's only one thing that can save us, and that's a blood transfusion. A blood transfusion can save us, and Jesus is the blood donor. We must put our faith in his blood. One of my, one, one movie I remember really well on this is, uh, that I think really brought this out was I Am Legend. Anybody see it? The I Am Legend. And they, they, these people were all turning into zombie, killer zombies, and you know, the whole human race was turning into this because they all caught this virus or whatever it was. It's been a few years since I watched it. But the, but the one character in the story, um, he, the, the hero in the story, he was immune. Even though he was surrounded by it and, and, and exposed to the, this virus, he was immune. And, and so he was trying to figure out how to save the zombies, but they all hated him, they all want to kill him, and, and they end up, finally do kill him. But, but the key was his blood. Remember the end? He, his, a vial of his blood that was, that, w- that if only people could get a dose of that blood, they could become immune from the disease. Even if they had become zombies, they could be transformed back into human beings again. And that is a picture of what Jesus did for us. He came, he took our disease, he gave his blood so that we could be saved from the result of our rebellion and the sin and eternal judgment. Jesus is the one who gave his blood. And that's what communion is all about. The bread that we take in a few moments is a reminder of the body of Jesus that he gave on the cross. The grape juice that we're going to have here in just a few moments is a reminder of the blood that that Jesus shed on the cross. Jesus, when he died on that cross, took our sin. He took our shame. That's what he took on himself. The shame, just like Rahab had this shame of being a prostitute. And we talked about that. But Jesus, but God transformed that into something beautiful. Jesus took our shame. Hebrews 12.2 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what Jesus did. He took our, our sin, he took our shame on that cross. That's what Jesus did. He took our shame on himself. Rahab, her shame, the the prostitute's red rope, the scarlet cord, that's a picture of us. That prostitute's red rope became a symbol of hope. Now we think of it as a symbol of hope. But that was her shame. In fact, Here's something wild. I did a little word study on this, and I couldn't believe what I found. The Hebrew word for rope, Hebrew word for rope, has another meaning. It has two translations. It can mean rope, or the most common translation of it is hope. Hope. There's no accidents here. It comes from the same word. Jesus transformed that red rope into Rahab's hope. He transformed our shameful life into a life of hope. And that's the idea of the rope. You grab a hold of the rope, you have hope. That's why it's all connected in the Hebrew. Will we, will every one of us reach and take a hold of that rope? That rope that's to save our life. That rope, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, hope in his blood. Have you ever taken a hold of that rope? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have 
eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus, taken a hold of that rope, and given your life to him? And if we have done that as Christians, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? We're under the blood, but have we... How is the Holy Spirit convicting us about separating from the world? That's what communion is too. A reminder to separate from the world so that we can connect with God, so that we can be in close communion with God because nothing is in the way. And that's why 1 John 1, 9 is very important. If you've never memorized this one, and memorize it, it's in the, in, the, in the insert there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. That's what communion is. It's a time to confess and to be purified and to keep a close relationship, stay in close communion with God. What we do now is we go to communion time and how we take it is we have some music playing and we, uh, when you feel led, when you feel ready, you can just come up and take the, the bread and the cup. You can take it back to your seat and take it with your family. You can take it with a friend. You can take it all by yourself. There's no right or wrong way. To, it's just between you and God. But however you choose to take it, it's, be, it's between you and God and, and with your family, whatever you want to do. But I want to encourage you to one thing. That's how we take communion. What it means is the body and the, and the blood of Jesus Christ, and we're remembering that. But if you have never put your faith in Jesus, wait. Nobody, we don't videotape, we don't take attendance, we don't do any of that stuff. Just between you and God, wait for the next time. If you're not ready to put your faith in Christ, wait. But I hope that you do that. And today, really commune with God for the first time. Also, if there's something in our life that we're not willing to, to surrender, the Holy Spirit's convicting us about separating from the world in some way. And there's something in our life that we know goes against God's word, and God's convicting us of that, and we say, no, you can't have it, God, then wait. Wait on communion, too, because, because this is very important that we are willing. Not, notice I didn't say sin. We, none of us could take it. But if there's something we're not willing to surrender this morning and say, God, forgive me. Help me with this battle. Then wait. But I hope that everybody here can surrender and, and can commune. Not just today, but this is just priming the pump. That we commune with him today It's just priming the pump that we stay close to him all throughout the week, all throughout the month, every day. Let's pray. As we prepare for this communion time, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe you're here today and you're not under the blood yet. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. But today could be that day the day that you take hold of that scarlet cord. The day that you put your faith in Jesus and what he has done for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can pray that prayer of faith right now, right where you're sitting. It doesn't take a religious ritual. It doesn't take a religious person to do it with you. It's just between you and God. But you can take hold of that red rope, that scarlet cord right now. You can put yourself under the blood of Jesus right now. 
Just say, God, I believe Jesus. Your son died for me. He died on that cross in my place for my sin. I repent of that sin. I ask you to forgive me for this sin. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. My trust in your son Jesus. I give my life to him. If you've prayed that prayer of faith this morning, you have just been saved. You have just been given a brand new life in Jesus Christ. A life that starts right this second and goes throughout all of eternity. A new life in Jesus Christ. And you can now commune with God any time, any second of the day. You can talk to him because he's your father. And this communion time is just a reminder of that. If you have prayed that prayer of faith today, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you came with a family member or a friend or fill out the card on the way out or tell me. Let somebody know. Email, text. Let somebody know so we can be excited for you and encourage you in your new life in Jesus Christ. For those of us who've already put our faith in Christ, how's the Holy Spirit speaking to us? We're already under the blood of Christ, but are we separate from the world? How's the Holy Spirit convicting our hearts as we start off this new year, 2017, communing with God? How is the Holy Spirit convicting us about surrendering our lives to Jesus and letting him really accomplish his purpose and his will through our life. Father, I pray that every one of us would be under the blood and separate from the world, that this would be a a brand new year for us, a powerful year in our life spiritually as we understand our purpose and you fulfill your potential in our lives. I pray everyone else would know close communion with you through your son Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name.